Is the Democratic narrative surrounding January 6th crumbling? The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. It's fake, phony, fake. Actually, I was shocked this morning. I got up and did something I don't normally do, and it's I read the Washington Post. And as I was looking at the analysis in the Washington Post, they literally claimed that their own narratives had been a failure. Of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It's interesting for the narrative because the narrative is these are safe, effective treatments, long-term good care. And if that were the case, then nobody would be afraid of an extended period of time for malpractice. If you go back really not, not that long ago, as I say, we kind of, we owned the news. We were the gatekeepers and we very much owned the facts as well. If it said it in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, then that was a fact. Nowadays, people can go to all sorts of different sources for the news and they're much more questioning about what we're saying. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons. It's Tuesday, February the 20th, 2024, and this is Narrative Wars. This past week, the best reality TV on television was the Fannie Willis misconduct hearing held in Fulton County, Georgia. And you would not believe how many laws she has possibly broken. Texas continues to step up the fight against illegal immigration. Governor Abbott made a major announcement about border security and the National Guard. And the Biden administration, in a desperate move to secure votes in the upcoming presidential election, has had a change of heart regarding EV manufacturing updates. All of this and much more on today's episode of of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a difficult week for Team Trump with the courtroom loss in New York City, which has resulted in a $354.9 million fine and ruling which bars Trump from doing business in New York City for three years. We are fighting for the soul of America. We are fighting the narrative war, and we're peeling back the curtain of confusion and exposing the lies of the mainstream media on this program. Last week, we covered the Supreme Court case, Trump versus Anderson, and the legal reasons why it's looking favorable that Trump will not be removed from presidential primary ballots across America. If you missed that program, uh, check that one out. In today's program, we begin by covering the disastrous testimony of District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who put on a stellar performance 
importance of how to ignore your legal counsel and say things that uh, will get yourself into even more trouble. Indeed, Miss Willis's attorneys were arguing with the judge and doing their very best to prevent her from testifying at all when Fonnie Willis herself stormed into the courtroom and insisted that she would be able to testify and explain herself. And that's exactly what she did. Uh, but she didn't do a very good job. This and much more on today's episode of Narrative Wars. Let's just jump right into this first story. Uh, Fonnie Willis whistleblower warned the DA about misuse of campaign funds, and then she was fired. So we're going to learn that not only is there, of course, this whole conversation about Fonnie Willis hiring her boyfriend, and was he her boyfriend before hiring her or after hiring her? Uh, that's just one issue. But there's another major issue issue, which is the misuse of campaign funds. Now, this is a one minute, seven second clip that we're going to hear. And this is from uh, The Hill, which is not exactly a conservative publication. But uh, of course, they've got a print publication. Uh, this is February the 18th, 2024. And this is cut number one. We should proceed cautiously. This, so this whistleblower who was fired um, spoke to the Free Beacon, the Washington Free Beacon, and provided this audio. But I have to say, what's alleged in here is extremely serious. Um, what the whistleblower says is that this grant, and the whistleblower worked uh, doing, uh, in the DA, in Fonnie Wilson's office, doing work with um, nonviolent juvenile offenders. Um, you know, this is important work. Um, that They received a grant from the federal government earmarked for the creation of a center of youth empowerment and gang prevention. Again, that sounds like a very worthy cause for public funding. And, and what she says is this his other employee, Michael Cuffey, wanted to use it to purchase swag, computers, and travel um, to, you know, misuse funds for the greater enjoyment of the office. And she went to Fonnie Wills and said, he can't do that. That's not what, what it's for. This is exactly what we want. This is what everyone wants. When there's misuse of public funding for government employees to speak up and report it and say something about it. That's what we all want. Fonnie Wills tries to calm her down and then we don't know what happens, but she lets her go two months later. So keep in mind the whistleblower in this case, she participated in writing this grant. Now, these are federal monies, and you heard what it was supposed to be used for. These were federal monies, and people in Fonnie Willis's district attorney office wanted to use it for swag and buy computers and buy clothes and who knows what else, but personal use, things that were not in the grant. And so she went to Fonnie Willis and said, this is a problem. And Fonnie tried to assuage her, tried to calm her down. But the end of it was that two months later, she was fired. She was fired. So this is a major problem, misuse of federal funds. Now, turning again to the trial that happened this last week, and if you haven't seen any portions of the trial we're going to put links in the show notes, but it was riveting television. I mean, it started with Fonnie Willis's attorneys in the courtroom were arguing with the judge 
and trying to do everything they could to prevent Fonnie Willis from even testifying, from even being in the courtroom in the witness stand. And Fonnie Willis came bursting into the courtroom, put her hand on her hip rather impatiently. And as the, her attorneys were talking to the judge, she said words to the effect, I'm not quoting the exact words, but she said, you know, I'm here and I want to testify. And you, you really need to see the facial expressions, the body language in terms of, you know, she, she was impatient. Her hand was on her uh, hip. She just came bursting into the courtroom. And there's no other way to say it. And then she immediately started demanding, okay, I want to see uh, this subpoena. I want to see this document, that document. Uh, oh, can you get me uh, some tissue? Uh, and she just started ordering people around in the courtroom. She certainly wanted to make sure that she was in charge. And that is the way it started. And it just kept getting more and more riveting. Well, here's an article from The Atlantic dated February 18th, 2024. Not exactly a conservative publication. Uh, this is not Breitbart. Uh, this is not the Daily Wire. We're talking about the Atlantic. And they mentioned the two-day hearing that took place in Fulton County, Georgia. But as you move down, they come to an interesting conclusion. They say that Willis is a public servant obligated to discharge the duties of her office in accordance with the best interest of the people of Georgia. Well, okay, that's pretty boilerplate. So is any district attorney. But here's the sentence that jumps off the page, absolutely jumps off the page. The Atlantic writes, in this instance, the best interest of the public dictates that she withdraw from prosecuting the case. In other words, Fannie Willis is just drawing too much attention to herself, according to The Atlantic. And so this is what liberals do. When their narrative is not working, when the narrative is collapsing, they sink the ship of their own. So, Fonnie Willis, yes, she's in deep trouble. And this whole Trump indictment, along with all the others that are involved, I believe there's about 18, the whole thing could go away. Now, Fonnie Willis is being investigated on multiple counts. And there's a lot of stories floating out there. And you're going to see a lot of memes and pictures of Fonnie waving around uh, the paperwork. The subpoenas, which uh, put her into the witness stand on that day last week. And again, it's the most riveting TV on TV. A lot of people, I know there's a lot of people that like to watch courtroom dramas. You can't write this stuff. It is that good. Federal crimes are on the table now. <laughs> House committee subpoenas DA. That's Fonnie Willis in Trump, Georgia case over use of federal funds. Now, this is ABC News, February the 2nd, 
2024. The panel is probing her use of federal funds intended to support at-risk youth. Now, this is the leading audio soundbite that we listened to. Okay, and that was The Hill, February 18th, 2024. And we were talking about the person in Fonnie Willis's office who was saying there was misuse of funds. Now, that was a story that was February the 18th, 2024. But ABC News ran the same story, February the 2nd, 2024. So 16 days prior to The Hill running their story, ABC News was on top of the same story. So it's been out there for a while that there's a whistleblower. And what's happening is that now there is an investigation. And Fonnie Willis is being subpoenaed by Jim Jordan in Congress. House committee subpoenas DA in Trump, Georgia case over the misuse of federal funds. So Jim Jordan's panel is probing and trying to find out about this mis alleged misuse of federal funds, which was intended to support at-risk use. But, you know, you can't just be using that federal money for buying personal swag, which I don't know what that means. Is that clothes? Is that accessories that you wear. Um, I don't know. But swag, I think it's a pretty broad term for getting a whole new wardrobe and personal computers and who knows what else. So they want to get to the bottom of this. That is a story worth tracking. And that's against the law. You can't write a grant, receive the money, and then spend it on yourself personally. So that's at issue it didn't really come up in the trial that happened last week, but it's still a major problem. Secondly, there's the misuse of campaign funds. Hot air, February 16th, 2024. Links in the show notes. Misuse of campaign funds. Follow the cash. Did Willis admit to campaign finance violations. Now, when she was on the stand last week, the whole case was initially about her hiring her boyfriend. And when did Mr. Wade become her boyfriend? She claimed, well, it happened after he was hired. Was it disclosed to the people in the office? And she gave a lawyerly answer in terms of, well, they sort of knew, but it was private, so they didn't know. Okay, her version of Bill Clinton's depends on what the meaning of is, is. But as she talked on the stand, she just kept talking. And she talked about cash and thousands of dollars in cash and paying uh, her boyfriend, Mr. Wade, cash on these trips that they took together. And she talked about campaign cash for running for office, and she kept it in her house. And it appears that all of this cash was commingled. Campaign cash and cash from her paycheck as a district attorney. And she couldn't track what was what. So there's a strong possibility that some of the campaign cash was spent on Mr. Wade. We just don't know. 
because she's in the habit of having thousands and thousands of dollars, 10,000 or more in her home. We just don't know. So this is really something. As she tried to defend herself, she opened up the door in the middle of the trial. She opened up the door to misuse of campaign funds. So links in the show notes. Uh, this is when it, things just really took off. And the attorneys were, were, of course, saying, oh my goodness, we got more issues here. And they just kept asking her question after question once she disclosed about the misuse of cash and the tens of thousands of dollars of cash and on and on and on. You just got to watch it. According to the article, Willis and Wade both admitted they did not disclose the relationship as required by regulations, the romantic relationship to the co-workers. Willis conceded yesterday that she violated the prohibition on receiving gifts as a public official over a cumulative amount of $100. The article continues. Instead, she explained she kept thousands of dollars from contributions to one of her electoral campaigns, seemingly an admission of an entirely new reason to disqualify Willis from the case. So again, as she got up on the stand trying to explain herself and say that it was no big deal that she and Mr. Wade had a romantic relationship, she opened up the door to misuse of campaign funds. So that's a state crime in the state of Georgia. So are you counting these? We've got federal crimes, number one, being looked into, and there's a subpoena, and she's going to be called in to Congress to testify uh, before Jim Jordan. Now we have a state crime, and that is a, another crime, misuse of funds, electoral funds, campaign funds, that's also being investigated on at the state level. And there is a Senate committee in Georgia that's investigated that. And the third area is the whole timeline of the romantic relationship. Did Willis lie about pre-existing romantic sexual relationship with Mr. Nathan Wade, who was hired by Fannie Willis to work the Trump case? And this, again, is an article not exactly in a conservative publication, Rolling Stone, February 16, 2024. So you see how this goes is that the liberals will sink each other when the narrative isn't working. So in the Rolling Stone article, Fulton County District Attorney Funny Willis's relationship with special prosecutor Nathan Wade began years before Willis hired Wade to work on Georgia's election interference case against Donald Trump, according to testimony given by Willis's former co-worker, Robin Yerty. So this is the Rolling Stone, folks. They're saying, I don't know how much more we can underline this, they're saying that D.A. Fonnie Willis lied to the court, lied on the record, because we've got co-worker Robin Yerty who says, yeah, it was known. And uh, this relationship was going on 
for years before Willis hired Mr. Wade to work on Georgia's election interference case against Donald Trump. So it doesn't get any more complicated, twisted, tangled than this. And so, wow, this was the best TV on TV. All the links are in the show notes. Fonnie Willis is not going to be in charge of this case much longer. All right, we're going to move on to our next piece. Texas Governor Greg Abbott holds a news conference to make an announcement regarding border security efforts in the Lone Star State. Let's listen uh, to this piece. It's a minute 10. Uh, this is cut number two. To expand our border security capabilities, uh, we are building a new Texas Military Department base camp that allows the Texas National Guard to increase and to improve operations in this area. What you see now is the first stage of construction has already begun on what is 80 acres uh, of an area to be built out for this base camp. Uh, this will increase the ability for a larger number of Texas Military Department personnel in Eagle Pass to operate more effectively and more efficiently. It will house uh, up to 1,800 soldiers with the ability uh, to expand up to 2,300 uh, if we have surge needs. National Guard have been scattered across uh, this entire region uh, in cramped quarters, uh, away from fellow uh, soldiers and guard, sometimes traveling long distances to be able to do their job. What this is going to do is to dramatically improve the conditions for our soldiers. As we know, Eagle Pass has been in the news and it's been all about tens of thousands and over time hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants entering from Mexico into the United States through this small town, Eagle Pass, in the state of Texas. And it's strategically located because the wall was not built there and the town was small, so the infrastructure there was very limited. So this story has been somewhat flying under the radar. People in Texas are aware of this, but I wanted to highlight this story because it's very important. If you're talking about tens of thousands of people and over the course of a year, hundreds of thousands coming through this tiny little town and then dispersing all over the United States, then this is a very big story. So a multi-acre property in the state of Texas. Now, keep in mind, the National Guard is under the command of each governor in the United States. And the purpose of the National Guard is to protect the citizens of each state, including to assisting in times of disaster response. Now, there certainly is a disaster going on in the state of Texas with tens of thousands a month and hundreds of thousands over the course of the year, illegals coming through this tiny town in Eagle Pass, Texas. So it's completely appropriate for the governor of the state, and in this case, Greg Abbott, to be wanting to protect the citizens of the state of Texas. 
and to be doing this. So in this case, the Texas National Guard is now being mobilized to protect the citizens of Texas against unrestrained illegal immigration in the state of Texas. Now, they've been aware of this for quite some time, but it was very difficult, as the governor explained, because the National Guard was spread all along the border and it was hard to mobilize. And so now there's going to be this multi-acre new site. It will be able to house 1,800 National Guard's personnel and up to 2,300. And there'll be facilities there so that they can spend the night. There'll be a recreation area. There will be computers, all that sort of infrastructure that's needed in order to respond quickly 24-7, 365. So now that the Texas Assembly has passed a law to make illegal immigration a criminal act, and we covered that in a previous program of Narrative Wars, there is additional legal authority for the Texas National Guard to act along with state police and other Texas law enforcement agencies. So Texas is not messing around. And for many Texans, uh, you're very familiar with that uh, phrase, don't mess with Texas. I actually lived in the state of Texas many years ago, and I appreciate this. I appreciate this very much that Texas is stepping up to protect the border. So we're going to continue to track this story. I feel it's noteworthy and it has been flying a bit under the radar, but it is certainly important national news. Ladies and gentlemen, if you found value in this program, Please share it with one or two like-minded friends. We rely on listeners like you to keep this program in production. You can also join us on social media on Getter, that's G-E-T-T-R, and True Social. Just search for it at Jeffrey K. Lyons. That's at Jeffrey K. Lyons. I look forward to reading your comments and hearing your thoughts. Your thoughts are important to us. Coming up next, the Biden administration is losing votes regarding the upcoming presidential election from employees in the car manufacturing industry. You'd be surprised what the reaction from the White House is. All right, turning to our final piece, electric vehicles are actually stacking up on our lots. Car dealers write to Biden. Now, this was written and this was communicated to Biden a number of months ago, but it's still important and in the news. We're going to talk about a timeline of what has been taking place, this communication between the car industry and the Biden administration. And there are some very important recent developments that have just occurred in February. So we're going to go back a little bit uh, to this piece. Uh, this is November 28, 2023. It was kind of an early shot uh, across the bow in November of last year. But this story has progressed 
Actually, it's been percolating since August of 2021. But we're going to take a listen to this piece. We're going to cover the timeline. You got to listen to uh, what has happened and how this has developed uh, in February of 2024. Let's listen to this. This is cut number three. Our dealers across 50 states sent a letter to President Biden letting him know the challenges they face trying to sell electric vehicles. Edward Lawrence is at the White House. Have they responded yet, Edward? Yeah, no, the, the president has not responded. The White House has not responded to this, but 3,000 dealerships across 50 states signed on to this, asking the president to back off his EV mandates. Now, Fox Business obtained this letter. In the letter, it says this, quote, while the goals of the regulations are admirable, they require consumer acceptance to be a re reality. With each passing day, it becomes more apparent that this attempted electric vehicle mandate is unrealistic based on our current and forecasted customer demand. Already electric vehicles are stacking up on our lots, which is the best indicator of customer demand in the marketplace. Dealers are asking the president to tap the brakes on the EV mandate. Tom Maioli signed on to this letter. Listen. The EVs right now in the marketplace are probably 20 to 25 percent over cost over a gas vehicle or a hybrid. And the, uh, the consumer walks in, you know, we try and get them to test drive them. They don't even want to test drive them. They have range anxiety. They're worried about the range. They're worried about the infrastructure, where they're going to charge it. There's no charging. So again, this piece was November 28, 2023, and we've talked about this, but we haven't laid out the timeline. A lot of times when you hear these pieces on the various uh, networks, they'll give you a portion of the news, but let's roll the clock back uh, to August of 2021. August of 2021, when Biden is in the White House, this was a press release, White House fact sheet, date, August 5th, 2021. President Biden outlines target of, get this, 50% electric vehicle sales share in 2030 to unleash full economic benefits, blah, 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 build back better, blah, 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 everybody's going to be happy, blah, 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 fuel efficiency, blah. Well, it didn't really happen, did it? Why? Because a number of factors. One, as you just heard in the piece, these cars are 20 to 25% more expensive than standard gas vehicles or even the hybrid vehicles. Second, there just aren't enough charging stations to make it viable. I mean, yeah, you can go to work if work is you know, close by, you can go to the grocery store, do a few errands. But if you want to drive across country or halfway across the country, if you want to go from state to state to state to see an aunt, an uncle, a relative, you can't do it. And we covered that again in a past episode of Narrative Wars. Even the Secretary of Energy was not able to travel halfway across the country because there weren't enough charging stations. So it's a disaster. The public has figured this out. One, 20 to 25% more expensive. And two, you can't really even drive out of your state, unless you're very close to the border of another state. But the point is, you can't drive quickly across multiple states because there just aren't enough charging stations. And even if you get to a charging station, you have to sit there and wait. I mean, who wants to sit around 
three or four hours at a charging station versus what? Five minutes, you fill up the gas and you're gone. I mean, that's a no-brainer. So that was back in August of 2021. And they put this crazy arbitrary target out there. We want 50% electric vehicle sales share to be achieved by 2030. Now, keep in mind that date, 2030, something magical about that date that you need to keep in mind. Keep, keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to circle back to that. November 28th, 2023, here's another article. Fox Business, more than 3,000 auto dealers sign a letter opposing Biden's electric vehicle mandate. And that's the piece we just heard. So 3,000 dealers from every single state, not just red states, blue states. Why? Because the cars are piling up. The EV cars are piling up in their lots. And they don't buy these cars. They finance them. And when the cars are sitting there and they're not turning, the car dealers are racking up holding expenses. They have to pay for that inventory. They finance it. Moving forward, this is Newsweek, January 25th, 2024. All right, we're getting closer to the present. Now we're in 2024. Donald Trump's winning with union that just endorsed Biden. Now, this is a huge flip of the script. Again, another story which is kind of flying under the radar right now. But the union, the car manufacturing union, United Auto Workers, just recently endorsed President Biden for president. Okay, but the polling says that the majority of union workers are not going to vote for Biden. Now, there's multiple reasons here. The Newsweek article did not really go into all the multiple reasons. We've covered this in past shows, but just as a quick recap, the biggest reason is loss of jobs. Why? Because it takes less workers to build an electric vehicle. Some estimates are as high as 30% less workers, which means a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. So why would they vote for this policy? If 50% of electric vehicle sales by 2030 shift to EV, that means a lot of jobs are going to be lost between now, 2024, and 2030. We're only talking about six years ahead from now. So, no, they're not going to listen to their union leader who has endorsed Biden for whatever reason, probably because the Biden administration has thrown billions of dollars of money and grants and loans to the car industry, $12 billion. But look, it doesn't matter how many grants and loans these auto manufacturers have received in order to prop up the production. If the public refuses to buy these vehicles, it really doesn't matter, does it? You can't force people to buy something that they don't want. All right, moving up to the present, 
February 19th, 2024, Biden quietly scraps key climate policy after realizing how insane it really is. This is red state. So again, another story. This is not a narrative. This is not something that is spin. This is what's really happened. The White House has backed off. This is huge news. They've backed off on this policy, which they pushed all the way back August 5th, 2021, to target 50% electric vehicle sales. Now they've quietly said, well, we're going to back off on that. We're not going to push that. All they're doing is trying to secure thousands and thousands of votes from auto workers all across the country. And of course, auto workers have families. There are other voters in their households. So this is a large segment. It's a significant segment of the population. So uh, they're going to just kind of tap the brakes and say, no, we don't really want to do this. Of course, Biden, being who he is, you think that if he actually gets reelected, he's going to continue to back off on this 2030 goal of 50% electric vehicle sales? No, he'll slam on the gas again and do everything he can. Keep in mind, the Biden administration has been trying to make it more expensive and more burdensome for the auto industry to even build cars by putting all sorts of regulations upon gasoline cars. One of those regulations is emission standards. And so if you don't reach certain standards, we're going to fine you. The Biden administration would be happy if the non-electric vehicles prices rose 20-25% so that they would be on parity with electric vehicles. Then people wouldn't have a choice in terms of price. They'd both be astronomical. So this is how the game is played. But here is the clincher. All of this, remember I told you about 2030, and I said keep that in mind. All of this is part of the globalist, communist, one-world government 2030 agenda. It's no coincidence that the Biden administration wants 50% EV car production by the year 2030. Very easy to look up. We haven't talked about it a whole lot. We're going to be going more in depth on this. Agenda 2030, right from the United Nations. And basically what this does, it sets up a one world government. And Biden is right along there, carrying the water for one world government. But folks, it's not working. The United Auto Workers are not listening to the union endorsement from their union to support Biden. Why? Because they don't want to vote for Biden. They don't want to lose their jobs. So even though you've got the 2030 agenda, the one world government, Davos, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization narratives, all these narratives that want to control the world and want to create an evil empire, which controls the United States, even though that's going on, the 
average person, the blue collar worker in America is saying, no, we don't want that. And that's a good thing. And now, a few closing comments. Amid the Fonnie Willis public relations disaster in Georgia, which may turn the tide in favor for Trump in the legal battle, which is going on in Fulton County, Georgia, in wake of President Trump losing a case in New York last week, which aims at removing Trump from doing business in New York for three years and fines of $355 million, for taking out loans and paying them back in full, no complaints from the bank that loaned him the money. In other words, there are no injured parties. But the New York justice system is all about a two-tiered system of justice. They just hate Trump. So they twist the laws in the state of New York in order to target him and his businesses. Americans are getting frustrated with this two-tiered justice system and the weaponization of the Department of Justice. Uh, here's a few signs of hope, however, that are appearing on the horizon. Number one, February 24th. That's coming right up. Nikki Haley, the neocon Trump hater, will most certainly lose in the upcoming South Carolina primary to be held on Saturday, February the 24th. Yep. All right, we're going to have some good news as the neocon Nikki Haley loses big time. Remember, Nikki Haley lost to none of the above in Nevada. March 5th, the Supreme Court will be ruling on the Colorado Trump case. So keep that date in mind also. That case regards banning Trump from the presidential primary ballot. This rule is expected in the next few weeks prior to March the 5th. Well, it has to come out before March the 5th because that's when the Colorado primary is. So if the Supreme Court is going to rule, they need to do it prior to that time. Otherwise, Trump will not appear on the Colorado ballot. That's going to be big news, which hits in the very near future. And presently, Fonnie Willis in Georgia, she's facing current investigation in the U.S. Congress. We mentioned that misuse of funds, federal funds. Also, another investigation in the Georgia Senate, misuse of state funds. How is the judge? So these are three examples of hopeful news that's coming up. So keep these in mind. In the very near future, South Carolina race, Nikki Haley against Trump. Trump is going to trounce Haley. That's Saturday, February the 24th, March 5th. Supreme Court of the United States is going to rule prior to March 5th regarding Trump being on the presidential uh, ballot for the presidential primary in the state of Colorado and what is going to happen in the case of Fonnie Willis. All of that is taking place in the very near future. 
So cheer up, ladies and gentlemen. America shall remain the land of the free and the home of the brave, a place where we can still proclaim liberty throughout the land. And that's a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired.